Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, January 2nd. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. It's time for episode 278 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and of course follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Patriots finished up the regular season in great form on Sunday at Gillette Stadium in a 38-3 thrashing of the lowly Jets. They clinched a first round bye for a ninth straight season. Their defense featuring Trey Flowers, Malcolm Brown, and Adam Butler really showed up and appear ready to pick up their collective game come playoffs. But most of all, and I think every Patriot fan feels this way, Tom Brady looked like, well, Tom Brady again on Sunday, completing 13 of his first 15 passes on the day. Four touchdowns in all, three of those coming in the first half. Now the Patriots have a week off to get ready for their divisional showdown against either the Texans, Ravens, or Chargers on Sunday, January 13th at 1 p.m. Here to discuss it all is one of the truly unique people on the Patriots beat. His name is Will Bendenson. He covers the Patriots for the Sports Exchange. You can follow him on Twitter at Patriots Maven, all one word, or online at the website footballmaven.io slash Patriots. How are you, Will? Drags, I'm on with you, so I'm good. And uh, what better way to uh, ring in the new year than to be on with a uh, legend of the Boston Sports media market, Mike Petralia. You know what, Will? I think you're too kind and you're overstating it, but you know what? I'll accept the compliment nevertheless. Um, well, if you can't accept praise on the, you know, at the beginning of the new year, then when else are you going to be able to accept praise? You know what? That is a very, um, that's a very good point, and I think very appropriate <laughs> given uh, us entering the new year together. Uh, how would you characterize your enthusiasm for covering football? Um, you know, I really enjoy football. I think it's, um, you know, the best game there is, and that's no knock on the other sports. I think it's more a compliment to football than it is a knock on basketball or baseball. I'm not quite as into hockey as those other two I just mentioned, but um yeah, I think the you know the great thing about football is it's uh, once a week, so you can really get into the game, really explore the matchups. Um, you know, so you know, like last week they're playing the Jets. You had a week to explore that. Obviously, the Jets and the Bills weren't the most exciting opponent, but you know, when they play a team like Pittsburgh, as they did a couple of weeks ago, it's really fun. Or Minnesota, or Green Bay, or Kansas City. Some of the other big games they've had this year. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy breaking down the matchups and. 
Um, you know, when you really know the team, it makes it fun, and you study the other team, it makes it fun. So I, I enjoy football a lot. Um, you know, I guess maybe sometimes the only knock is you wish there were more games because it's once a week, and so you really get up for that game. But, uh, yeah, overall, I really enjoy it. When you walk into a room, everybody knows Will Bendenson is in the room because you come up to people and you engage them, um, mostly beat reporters, of course, um, you know, at the Gillette Stadium uh, media room during the week and, of course, in the press box uh, during the game, you know, before, during, and after the games. Why do you like people so much? Because maybe I'm overstating this, but you love being around people. No, I think that's fair. I think it's – I like – this is actually funny since I came back to the beat, uh, between the beat and going to law school and coming back. This, right. this beat has been a really fun group. It's been young and it's been vibrant and, you know, they give me a hard time and, you know, in a good way and I give it back. And, um, you know, I think it's a beat. The reason I think overall it's, uh, such a great beat is no one takes themselves too, too seriously. So you can poke fun at people. You know, we all have our imperfections. We all have our little weird quirks and, when you can poke fun at people and they can poke fun at me and they know that it's no one's going to take it personally, I think it makes for a good atmosphere. And, you know, down there, as you know, Trags, we have a lot of time when we wait. That's for sure. now, it's not like it used to be when Belichick usually goes in the morning and the locker room's late afternoon. So you, you have a lot of time to wait. and It makes it easier to pass the time if it's a good group that you like and the other thing I've been impressed with on the beat, on a serious thing, is, uh, right. you know, the last time I covered the team, we didn't even have game pass. So you couldn't really rewatch the games and you couldn't see the coaches film. Now you can see the coaches film, so it's much more, uh, you can really watch players and in depthly and you feel like you're giving them a more fair analysis. And this group, I think, is really dedicated to watching the film and, you know, really grading players accurately and into statistics. So I think fans are lucky. I've really never seen such dedication on the beat as I've seen on this one. I think that's actually a great point, Will, because, um, you know, since you brought it up, people uh, might not know this, but you went back to school after the 2011 season. That's right, right? Yeah, exactly. And you went to law school at Tulane. You came back to cover the NFL. Why did you want to come back? Well, the opportunity just sort of came up through uh, some happenstance. Um, I think one of the things I didn't realize at the time, but I liked NFL more, is that, you know, there's a game once a week, unlike the law, you know, where cases can drag on forever and there are continuances, which means, you know, an extension of, you know, it's supposed to be on this day, but, you know, one lawyer from one side wants an extension to another day to do more depositions and, and all that. And so, you know, there is that football that's going to happen, the game on Sunday. I really like that. Um, also, you know, the excitement of the game and, and, and that. It beats sitting in an office all day, uh, which is mostly what law is, doing paperwork. So, And the third thing I would say is I think the personalities are really interesting. I think I've always been interested in the players. I think, you know, one of the myths is to get to this level, I don't care how talented you are. You have to work really hard and you have to go through some self-examination from some sort of psychological point of view, really understand yourself, how you fit in in the team concept. So I think the personalities are really interesting. I think this locker room is no different. You know, guys like Devin McCourty and even Trey Flowers. And, you know, there are many interesting personalities um, to talk to. So I enjoy the players. I think it's a good group. I think it's a team sport. So, you know, you can't be too selfish and, and play this sport at a high level. Uh, okay, besides the personality, Will, and speaking with Will Bendenson covering the Patriots 
for the Sports Exchange. You can follow him on Twitter, at Patriots Maven. What do you like the most about this particular Patriots football team, just beyond the good personalities that are in the locker room? Um, I think their willingness to get better. I think that they, uh, you know, take a guy like Kyle Van Noy, he just seems to keep improving. Um, and I think he's become a pretty good linebacker in this league. I know Jeff Howe had it in his uh, film review today, and I have the same thing. I think uh, Van Noy is this, that they work. I don't think that they're – there's not a lot of household names on this team. They only had two pro bowlers, Brady and Gilmore. I think that there was a good case for James White. I know I love James White. But, yeah, I mean, you take a guy like White. He's just uh, – I think he was a third or fourth-round pick, and he's – you know, nobody thought much of him. People thought it was a mistake when they beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. He wasn't even, I think, active that game in the Seattle Super Bowl. And, you know, two years later, he's in the Atlanta Super Bowl, and I think he had – I don't remember the exact number, but he has the winning touchdown run, and he had 10 catches or 14 catches, and, you know, they couldn't stop him, and they don't win that Super Bowl without him. So their willingness to these guys to work and just continue to get better I think is impressive. You know, they're not really seem to seek out the headlines. Or, you know, even Trey Flowers is going to make a good amount of money in the offseason. He's really not that interested in the headlines or the fame or anything like that, I think. He's interested in being a really good football player. So I'm glad you brought up Trey Flowers because I think he is a Pro Bowl caliber player. I mean, you ask Bill uh, Belichick, and he will tell us all the time of the the kind of consistent uh, high level at which Trey Flowers plays. And he has gotten better in each of his uh, three years in the NFL and, you know, to, to watch the way he's grown, or four years in the NFL, to watch the way he has grown as a football player, I don't think he gets talked about enough nationally. Um, yeah, I think certainly he should be mentioned more. You know, Trey Flowers is always a fun topic because there's no topic that threatens to divide the beat more than Trey Flowers. And, and why is that, team. Will? Um, well, because I think uh, for a couple of reasons, one, you know, he finished the year with seven and a half sacks. I don't know what that is. It's around 35th to 40th in the league. Um, you know, and so obviously that's good. And the other reason, well, there are a couple of reasons he's a free agent at the end of the year. So he's going into the off season. So it's a big question as to what he was worth, how much, you know, we all like to play GM, how much is he worth? And so I think we have different interpretations on that. And and so that's uh, I think that's why it's a debate. The other thing is that I think defensive football, you know, whereas with statistics, you know, you can easily statistics are much better at measuring running backs and receivers than they are, you know, defensive linemen or offensive linemen or even linebackers. So it's uh, you know, you really have to watch him closely to, I think, really get a sense of his value. You really have to chart. Um, it also gets into, you know, the pro football focus now, how much you you know, they chart the big new status quarterback pressures, how much you put stock in that. Not that nobody puts any stock, but, you know, it's possible to have a pressure on the play and the quarterback still completes a pass. So how you do that and, um, you know, how much you put into his improvement in the run game. So I think there's different factors that lead people to have uh, different conclusions about him. I happen to feel that the Patriots should re-sign him. And I think he is. Well, I think everybody thinks that they should re-sign him. It's just a question of the problem. I mean, look, he's clearly their best defensive lineman. I don't think anybody would argue that. It's just a question of the price. I'm more that he's worth $10 million a year. I know 
Jeff Howe had a piece more that he thinks he's worth $14 million a year. So it's just a question of what level. Also, is he a system guy, which I'm never really sure what it means, but is he a guy that, um, you know, is he a guy that will succeed more in the Patriots system than somewhere else? I think that is possible. And um, so that's the question. How much, you know, will he get on the open market? But I do agree with you, Trags. I think it's important if they can to try to re-sign him before he gets to the open market in March when free agency starts, because then the money could get crazy. And so I think it would be nice if they found a way in the playoffs. All of a sudden, one day you heard, reach an extension with Trey Flowers. I think that would be great news for Patriots fans. Why has Adrian Claiborne not been the player that I think a lot of people thought he would be on the edge? I think with Claiborne, first of all, uh, I think he had nine sacks last year, but six came in a game against the Cowboys where he was going up against a backup left tackle. So you take right. that game out of it, you know, he's, 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 I think the stats were deceiving. I think weirdly he's rushed past the quarterback at times. He's, you know, he's been inactive the last two games. Um, you know, he was always brought in to be a situational pass rusher, you know, which I think is weird in their system where they're, more on edge edge guys to stop the run, and then they bring in Claiborne. And I, he just, I don't know, I think he's slowed down. I just haven't found him to be that good. It's not a knock on him. It's, you know, I just don't think he has a lot of moves. And I don't, you know, there's a couple times he could make a play if he and Trey Flowers were on the same side and he was a stunt. There's a big play in the Green Bay game. But, yeah, I just think he's, he's slowing down. I'm not sure. I don't know how much interest he'll generate from other teams. He has a year left on his contract. I don't. I don't expect him to be back. Uh, yeah, he's been a disappointment. I mean, he was paid, I think, $6 million a year. You know, that's not that much for an edge rusher. So maybe in that sense he hasn't been. But I still think he's been a disappointment that they asked him to contribute. And, you know, now it certainly looks watching the film, like John Simon, who they brought in in week three, who was released at the end of training camp by the Colts, has surpassed him and, and I think is a better player. And I think, if, you know, if I don't, you know, if I, I think I, I would rather have him active right now than Playboy. I know you asked about um, Adam Butler uh, this week on a conference call uh, with Bill on Monday. And from what I've seen of him, he's probably been the youngest, one of the younger uh, defensive players that has blossomed into a stalwart in that defensive front more than anybody else. Yeah, he's been a good uh, third down uh, rusher. Mainly he's their third down pass rusher, and he's been good. At times, he's been able to draw double teams, which has allowed Flowers to make some plays. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think he's been good. It's an impressive story. He was an undrafted rookie last year, and, and the Patriots have had a lot of luck with undrafted players. Uh, David Andrews, the center, uh, I think it was, yeah, David a couple years right. ago, last year Butler, this year J.C. Jackson. So the Belichick has always found those undrafted rookies. Um, you know, Malcolm Butler, obviously, so – I mean, look, they've had luck. It seems like one a year they find it contributes. And uh, I'm not sure really what goes into that. I think a lot more credit probably deserves Dick Casario and his staff for really, you know, finding diamonds in the rough. I remember a funny story one time being in the Patriots reception area for whatever reason the day after the draft. And I think every agent of a player who wasn't drafted was calling just to get them a workout, you know, trying to get their guy a workout. I think it shows you they have to go through a lot of guys to find the one diamond in the rough, you know, that can contribute in the undrafted pool. But I think it is dedication because, you know, a lot of teams might look past that and the Patriots don't. And I think the result is it seems like one guy a year is really contributing who didn't get drafted. 
Tell me why, and I know Patriot fans want an answer to this. Tell me why Patriot fans should be optimistic about this Patriots defense uh, going into the playoffs, um, especially if Kansas City wins their divisional game and the Patriots would have to go to Kansas City and, and play an AFC championship game. Tell me why you would have confidence in this defense against Pat Mahomes. I don't know that I do. You know, I wrote that this week. I'm like, I don't know if you saw my game call. But right. I said, you know, they played well the last two weeks, but you have to consider their opponent. Uh, you know, the Jets, they didn't have uh, Quincy Inunua, who they just gave an extension to, and Kirst didn't play. So two of their best three receivers, which basically meant they had nobody because Gilmore took away Robbie Anderson, who's their downfield threat. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the biggest reason to be optimistic about the Patriots defense is their secondary. I think their secondary has become pretty good. Obviously, Gilmore, the top corner. Jackson has become very good, reliable second corner, and he's learned how to be physical. You know, early in the year he was physical, but he was drawing a lot of penalties. He's not doing that anymore. So he's becoming smarter. You know, if it's Jason McCordy as your third corner or Jonathan Jones, I think you'd like to see the safeties make a few more plays, McCordy and Harmon and Chung. But, yeah, I think the optimism comes from the secondary. If they can cover long enough, hopefully the pass rush can get there. They don't have, I think, a really good pass rusher. I, I think Flowers is, you know, he's sort of what I think is a good three technique on the guard. But, yeah, I don't think they have a, a Khalil Mack or an edge guy, a true edge pass rusher like the Chandler Jones was. So, yeah, I think that's the concern. Can they get enough pass rush against the passing, uh, against a good passing team? That's a concern. The other concern is, and maybe the last two weeks made me feel a little better, but only to extent, but the run defense was really bad against Miami. Really bad, yeah. They gave up close to two, really bad, 200 yards. They seem to have improved that, but we'll see when they're going up against a better opponent, better offensive line, if that holds. I know against Pittsburgh, some nickel, so, you know, they were trying to play the pass more and concede the run. But when you let Jalen Samuels, their third running back, 160 yards, um, uh, you know, go all over you, that's not good. The other concern I still have about the defense is can they make a big play at a big time? I know certainly this was another disagreement among beat writers who thought that the defense was good against Pittsburgh. I didn't think it was as good because I'm with 17 you. points and Boswell missed the field goal. But I think a telling drive was when Brady threw the interception to Hayden and they had the ball, Pittsburgh, at their own four. Yep. You know, if the defense makes a play and holds them and forces them to punt out of their end zone, they get the ball at the 50 or, or the 40, you know, Pittsburgh 40. Great, great field position. Instead, they give up three first downs, a five-minute drive, and, you know, ends up Boswell kicks a 47-yard field goal. But, you know, that's the type of drive you would have liked to see the defense make a play. And uh, that's why I think it's so important to watch the games, you know, the age of pro football focus and everything. I do think context matters. So, yeah, I'd like to, you know, if the defense has to make a big stand in Kansas City, I still question, you know, whether they can do that. Um, you know, that said, who knows? Kansas City uh, could get upset in the second round by Baltimore, but it wouldn't shock me if Indianapolis went into Houston this week. I think that's the most likely upset because they already did it three weeks ago, one in Houston. Indianapolis playing super well after they started one and five. I think they're nine and one the last 10 games. So, and then if that happens, you know, the Patriots will probably play Baltimore in the second round. So the other thing is that if Kansas City, who's really struggled in the playoffs recently, I think they've lost their last five home playoff games. They haven't won a home playoff game since 93. If they do get to the AFC championship game and they are playing the Patriots, I don't think that Kansas City has been to a Super Bowl since Super Bowl four. So I think that's half that state will be shut down for that game. 
you know, their first chance to go to the Super Bowl, um, you know, in a long, long time, since Super Bowl four, fifty 50 years almost. So it'll be an epic game, you know, in the history of Missouri. You know what I mean, Trax? Oh, there's no question, and I cannot wait, if that's the case, to cover a game there, because I've never covered a game there. Have you? No, I have not been there. But I'm just saying, from the Patriots' standpoint, to go in there when it's Kansas City's, you know, the ultimate game in Kansas City. I mean, that you you wouldn't be a stretch to say that's the biggest game in Chiefs history if, that, if they get to the AFC Championship. You know. Well, I mean, it's not uh, bigger than the Super Bowl. Uh, no, but I mean, well, they have but, a, I mean, most of their fans' lifetime. You know, they beat yeah. the Vikings in Super Bowl four. So right. I mean, that's 19, around 1970. So that's almost 50 years ago. You know, so most of these fans weren't alive for that. You know, I don't think you know many of the fans remember that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, so, I I, uh, I hear your point there. That no, that's that's fair, and certainly um, to take on the big bad uh, New New England Patriots would be comparable to the Chiefs taking on Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl One, right? I mean, it'd be the same type of yeah. Uh, it would be the same situation. type of thing. I mean, I think they want the Patriots at Arrowhead for the AFC Championship game, you know? <laughs> it's like Tony Dungy in 2006. Remember, they had lost to the, pa- uh, the Colts. Had be- The Patriots had beaten the Colts 2003 and 2004 playoffs in Foxborough. And Tony Dungy admitted, you know what? If we're going to get to the Super Bowl and we're going to win it, we want to beat the Patriots. And I think it's the same with the Chiefs. They're not going to admit it now. They'll only admit it later. But I think they sort of feel that way, that – they want to. They want to take out New England. You know, I, I mean, think they're the big bad dynasty team. You know, I think it would be so. even for these Patriots, and I'm sure one of the huge storylines that week, if you know, if even the Patriots and Chiefs win their divisional round games, which I think they yeah. will, um, the one of the big storylines will be the Patriots going on the road. There will be a lot of analogies brought up with the the Steeler games in 2001 and 2004 uh, when the Patriots had to go through Heinz Field, which to me, uh, you know, Arrowhead is Arrowhead, but maybe a half a step below that in terms of great football atmospheres um, that the Patriots would have to face on the road is Pittsburgh. It, You know, we were both there in Pittsburgh three weeks ago, and I'm telling you, when that place gets rocking and the terrible towels get going, it is as intimidating as any place you'll see in the National Football League. And I think, you know, that is the kind of thing that a lot of people will be writing about, that this Patriot team will not be afraid of, you know, the noise and, the, and you know, the karma that the Chiefs will have on their side uh, trying to get to a Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. Um, yeah, I think, too, I mean, in Pittsburgh, you know, people are on the Patriots about the penalties. But if you look even at the last Mason penalty, the holding penalties, was sometimes the defensive line, Pittsburgh's outplayed the Patriots' offensive line. So you get beat, you hold, hope you get away with it. The false starts, I think, had to do with the crowd noise and the offensive line being nervous. You know, Pittsburgh came into that game leading the league in sacks, so they had a very good pass rush. Um, I, I agree. I mean, the Chiefs, you know, under Marty, they kept they always disappointed in the playoffs. It's kind of been the same with Andy Reid last year. They lost at home. Um, but I don't know that they've had a home AFC championship game, you know, in a long time. So I know when they lost to the Bills with Montana, that was in Buffalo. So right. it hasn't been a long time since they've had a home AFC championship game. They had a couple number one seeds where they lost to Denver in the divisional round. But, yeah, this would be, I mean, I think this would be a huge game. 
you know. So they'd have to really be mentally tough and play their best game because that stadium will be rocking. I mean, it will be some atmosphere. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, those fans are intense. So I, it would be a heck of a game, you know. <laughs> Speaking um, but, with, you know, they'd have to yep. play better than they did earlier that, in that they – you know, one of the concerns on the road this year was they got down early in some of the road games, and they can't do that in Kansas City. They, I think one of the things that was so important in the 2001 AFC Championship game against the Steelers and the 2004 AFC Championship game was they started fast. You know, you remember in 2004 the long pass to Deion Branch or the end around. They had a big play that led to a touchdown early. That kind of took the crowd out of the game. So I think that's important. Uh, that they started fast in those games, and I think they'd have to do the same thing in Kansas City. They started fast in Indianapolis in '06, <laughs> right? They did. They did, yeah. And then completely fell off the the wagon, and you know they they you, you know, know the thing though that ran out of about that game. Is, yeah, go ahead. Game is that they started fast, and then Indianapolis tied it at twenty-one-three at halftime after the Asante Samuel interception. And then they tied it in Indianapolis at 21. Then it was a seesaw affair, you know. Patriots led 28-21, and the Colts tied it at 20. It wasn't like the Patriots completely collapsed in the second half, you know. I mean, they, they put up a fight, you know. And if uh, it was third and two to go to the Super Bowl, and Brady, if he completes a pass to Troy Brown, and Bob Sanders has Robert coverage, and he comes at the last minute and knocks it away and forces the Patriots to punt. But they, everyone forgets they were one first down away from going to that Super Bowl, and they obviously would have beaten the Bears with Rex Grossman that year. So, yeah. Speaking with Will Bendenson covering the Patriots for the Sports Exchange, you can follow him on Twitter, at PatriotsMaven, or on the website, footballmaven.io slash Patriots. All right. What is your take on Tom Brady, um, and at what level do you think he is playing? Um, I was just never as down on him. I mean, I think in the Pittsburgh game, if Mason doesn't hold to it at the end, I think they score. And Because uh, I thought he was really good on that drive until that holding penalty, then it all collapsed. Um, and then he scores, and everyone says it's a Brady-esque drive. You know, the Hayden interception in that game, I thought he had a couple guys in his face. He was, I think he was trying to throw it out of bounds. I just don't think he has the arm strength that he once did. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Gene Upshaw once said that he, um, when asked about whether he was slipping, he said, yeah, I'm slipping, but from a high place. So, yeah, Brady is slipping. There's no question he's not the quarterback that he was in 07 or 2010. We both covered that season when he had, I think, maybe his best season, actually. Yep. He had only two interceptions that year. He won the MVP. Um, but yeah, he's slipping, but from a high place. So I still think he's one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, I mean, going into the playoffs, the AFC, I mean, what quarterback of the six teams would you rather have right now than Brady? I mean, maybe luck, you know, maybe he's playing at a higher, you know, Deshaun Watson, we'll see, you know, Mahomes, some of these younger guys, you'd still rather have him than Rivers, I think. So yeah, I think, you know, in the big game, you still trust him. Uh, and so he's three and four in road playoff games and that's, you know, but that's the most quarterbacks. That means, you know, you're not going to generally play well in road playoff games because you're playing a better team. And so, I mean, and three of those losses were in Denver. So, yeah, I, I still think he's very good. I don't think he's quite what he was, but I think fans around here don't realize, you know, how much most teams struggle to find a good quarterback. You know, you take a situation like Denver where they've had a very good defense, good running game, and the reason they're not in the playoffs is, you know, that they can't find a quarterback. They took right. Paxton Lynch in the first round after Peyton Manning retired. 
They had to release him at the end of training camp. You know, he was a bust, and now, you know, they signed uh, Case Keenum, give him a lot of money, and let's face it, Case Keenum is just a jag. He's just another quarterback, and, you know, he's not bad, but he's not good. So, you know, uh, it's it's tough to find a quarterback. There aren't that many really good ones, maybe five or six in the league. You know, Brady, Mahomes, uh, Breeze, um, you know, uh, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck. But there aren't that many of them, so it's it's tough to find. And you know, you look in the NFC, uh, there's just not the, in the playoffs. I mean, Foles is playing well, but you know, Trubisky and you know Jared Goff, and you know, there's not that many elite uh, you know guys. We'll see about Dak Prescott, but I think yeah, you know, Brady. I think the reason they have a chance to go far is Brady still. What about Rob Gronkowski and your concern level for his inability to? Uh, create separation. Do you see it? And do you see it as a frustration, uh, as a uh, concern in the playoffs? Because I do. I agree. I think he's just, he finished the year, I think, with 47 catches. Um, he had, a, ironically, his best game was in Miami, but nobody remembers because of the last play. But he had eight catches for 107 yards. But they played a lot of zone that game, and so he got open. But yeah, I think he's to the point now where his speed is down. He can single cover him. You know, he's just not that. I know a long play was taken away from him this week. But, yeah, I mean, there's a theory. I, you know, uh, threw it out on Twitter that Gronk, you know, could be saving it up for the playoffs. One last run, you know, three games. Even if he had two really good games, it would help them. I don't know. I don't see it. Um, I know if you're game planning against the Patriots offense at this point, your first priority is take away Edelman. I know if I was a defensive coordinator. I agree. I would first take away Edelman. You know, see if Dorsett can beat you. You know, and if I'm big up front, I could take away the running game. That's why I think the Ravens will be tough because if they do play them, you know, I think they'll they'll take away Edelman, they'll rush the passer, they'll take away the Patriots running game, and, you know, they'll sort of force them to win with Dorsett or Hogan or Gronk. And, you know, I'm not sure that they can do that right now. So, yeah, Gronk is no question concerned. I thought in training camp he had two more years left in him. Now I think this could be it. I mean, I don't think he's committed to playing next year. I think it's obvious that he – uh, retired, um, you know, he thought about retirement last year. And, uh, you know, he said when his body doesn't feel good, football isn't fun. And he's taken a lot of hits. He had the back issue coming into the league. He only played one year of college football because he missed the second year with back surgery. So he, uh, you know, that's why he fell in the second round. But yeah, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. I think he's had a very good career, um, you know. But, yeah, he's faced some injuries. And, uh so, yeah, I mean, I think to win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl, they're going to need Gronk to, you know, play well and better than he's playing. I mean, I, Gronk's a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, there, there, there's no question that if he retires after this year, he is going into the Hall of Fame, right? I would vote for him, yeah. Uh, you know, Ron Borg is a good friend of mine, a Patriots voter. I don't know his thoughts on it. Um, you know, I think uh, Ron does a good job of, you know, putting things in, in perspective because he's watched a lot of football in 40 years, you know, but I, you know, in my lifetime, I think he's, he, he's the best, I, one of the best tight ends I've seen. Um, you know, I think Shannon Sharp and Coates, um, Shannon is in, Coates is obviously not, but yeah, I mean, I think they're right up there just off the top of my head. Um, you know, Gronk was a guy you had a double team, you had a takeaway. And I think if you go back to the Seattle Super Bowl, you know, they couldn't single cover him and, a linebacker couldn't cover him because the linebacker isn't fast enough and a defensive back wasn't big enough. So certainly on production, I, I would vote for him and also good in the blocking game. And, um, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I would vote for him, you know. I'm um, glad to hear that. You know, it's interesting. 
Go ahead. It's interesting because there aren't that many tight ends in the Hall of Fame. I think there's only, right now, I think there's only seven or eight tight ends in NFL history in the Hall of Fame. And obviously there's going to be nine with Tony Gonzalez this year. But sure. I just think, uh, yeah, there's not that many. So for whatever reason, that position hasn't seemed to be uh, rewarded as maybe some other positions. But also I think, you know, to call him just a tight end is a little maybe disingenuous because what he is is a pass catcher. I mean, he's been more of a receiver than a traditional, you know, blocking tight end in his career. Speaking so, with Will yeah. Ben, yep. Uh, speaking with Will Bendenson, Patriots beat writer for the Sports Exchange. You can follow him on Twitter at Patriots Maven or online at the website footballmaven.io slash Patriots. We're going to finish up here, Will, talking about uh, one of my very favorite football books, and I don't say this just because you wrote it, but the 2010 book. You're too kind. Uh, your 2010 book on Bill Parcells and the 1990 Super Bowl champion Giants uh, with defenseman, uh, defensive lineman Leonard Marshall. Bill Parcells, the 1990 New York Giants and the Price of Greatness, When the Cheering Stops. What was the inspiration of When the Cheering Stops? Um, it was actually a total coincidence at the start. I, uh, as I think a lot of books are, I was interning at ESPN in college. It was the summer. We weren't doing much. And I was writing Where Are They Now pieces, which means what happens to old players. And, um, you know, Leonard, I did, came up because Leonard's most famous play is the hit that knocked out Montana in the 1990 NFC Championship game. Essentially ended uh, Montana's career in San Francisco. He was on the roster the next two years, but only played one more game. Steve Young really became the Niners' full-time quarterback in 1991. So, you know, I just, uh, thought it would be cool that hit. And, you know, Leonard had told me about a lot of issues uh, with retired players. Originally, we were just going to do a book about the challenges of retired players from divorce to financial struggles to, uh, you know, head injuries, which became bigger later. But um, and then I think I sort of came up with the idea that uh, the publishers thought that might be a little depressing. So it was coming up on the 20 year anniversary of the 90 Super Bowl between the Giants and the Bills when Norwood had the kick wide right. Right. And, um, you know, so thought it'd be cool to do an anniversary book and then intersperse the stories. What happened to a few guys like, um, you know, some good, some bad, you know, Mark Ingram, Dave Meggett, they had their struggles and other uplifting stories like Everson Walls. So. A lot of interesting guys on that team. And it was an interesting, I learned a lot of football writing a book. Um, surprised there wasn't a little more interest around here because, uh, you know, Belichick was the defensive coordinator on that, uh, that uh, team. And he, you know, masterminded the game plan that beat the Bills, sort of conceding the uh, run, you know, like they did against the Rams. And then, you know, putting seven or eight defensive backs, beating up the running back uh, in the passing game. So in that game, they beat up. Thurman Thomas in the passing game and the, you know, 2001, they beat up Marshall Falk. So you saw some game plan similarities. He sent his game plan to Canton, Ohio. So I went out to see it, his game plan. That was interesting with Leonard and, you know, got to talk to a lot of interesting guys, watch a lot of football, learned a lot about Belichick, his theories, the way he comes. That was another reason I was interested in it because, you know, obviously Belichick being the defensive coordinator was so heavily involved in those teams. So that was interesting. And then, um, you know, getting to interview Parcells, who ended up writing the forward for two long interviews, you know, talking to him for three or four hours. I think I learned more in that than, you know, in years that have gone by. So uh, it's really, uh, I learned a lot. And I, I, you know, I enjoyed the writing 
process. The only thing I didn't enjoy was, you know, the business side of the book business, but, you know, everything, everything was good and, uh, you know, it was intense research, but, you know, I tried to really take fans back to that season. I think most people uh, enjoyed it. It's still available on Amazon. I'm glad you bring that up because, um, I think there's a lot from that book and a lot from that team that still exists in the National Football League today. In terms of attitude, in terms, I mean, we, we, we hear so much about how the game has evolved, um, and how it's a much different, uh, type of game and, you know, cracking down on really hard hits and whatnot and football safety in general. But there's still a lot about the, uh, theoretical and intellectual side of football that I think comes from a team like the Giants who really had to figure out, and Belichick had to figure out a way to beat one of the most innovative offenses in Jim Kelly's Red K gun offense in that Super Bowl. Yeah, there's no question. The other thing that that Super Bowl took place during the first Gulf War, so it was a right. very patriotic uh, Super Bowl in terms of fans remembering. And yeah, I think if fans went back and watched those games, they might be bored because the the Giants uh, had to beat the Giants played uh, the Niners that year at Monday Night Football in early December. They lost seven three in San Francisco. Uh, then there was a rematch in the NFC Championship game, and you'll remember the Niners had won the previous two Super Bowls, and they were the first team it was thought was going to three-peat. Uh, and no team has actually ever won three Super Bowls in a row, still to this day. The Niners, I think, were the closest. They had the Giants at home in the NFC Championship game. In fact, the Tampa, they had they were the late game. Buffalo had beaten Oakland 51-3. When they got to Tampa, there were a lot of signs, Bills 49ers Super Bowl, which never happened. Everyone thought at some point in the 90s there would have been a Bills 49ers Super Bowl, but it didn't happen. But, yeah, and that game was 15-13. So there wasn't nearly the the Giants won. There wasn't nearly the offense uh, that there was uh, today. Uh, you know, and then don't forget, the Niners had Joe Montana, and he only had one touchdown pass in that game. The Giants had no touchdowns. They had five field goals. And uh, after Leonard knocked out uh, Montana, uh, Steve Young had the ball. And I, they needed one first down to get to Tampa. And uh, Eric Howard caused a fumble that Lawrence Taylor recovered. And the other interesting story was that uh, Phil Simms got hurt late in the season. So Jeff Hostetler, their backup, was uh, their quarterback. And he led them on the, uh, the drive to set up the game-winning field goal that Matt Barr kicked who later came to the Patriots. And they also had a safety on that team, Myron Guyton, who came to the Patriots, and Bob Cratch. So there was a, you know, and the, the you know the Patriots connections were heavy because Romeo Cornell was, a, I think, the special teams coach, and Al Gray was on that staff. So there's a lot of guys. Ron Earhart was the offensive coordinator. So, uh, you know, Bill Parcells obviously came to the Patriots. That was his last year with the Giants. So it's uh, it's interesting. And, you know, I didn't know there's become more interest in those sort of Giants teams now, like, Last year before the Super Bowl, you'll remember the two Bills documentary. So having written the book, that had really uh, interested me, uh, some of the stories. Because getting, I never thought I would see Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick sit down together. Could you sense that when you were writing the book, uh, when you went back and did the research, that these two, while they had a great deal of respect for one another, there was animosity is a strong word, and it may not be the right word. But could you tell there was tension? I think so. Um, uh, you know, there was a story in the documentary. Uh, you know, I, I had known that Belichick's nickname was Doom because he was always sort of negative <laughs> on things when he was with the Giants. And, uh, you know, there was a story in the in the documentary that Parcells would walk by 
you know, they really only had three defensive coaches. There was uh, Romeo. Um, well, Romeo started his special teams. Maybe by that point, his defensive line, Al Gray and Belichick. And Belichick was also the defensive backs coach. They had wanted earlier, actually, Tony Dungy to come be the defensive backs coach, but he didn't uh, want to move his family from Kansas City. Uh, so Dungy, uh, you know, went back to Kansas City. And, um, and Belichick, uh, you know, was the defensive backs coach. So it was a small staff and Parcells would walk by the office and think, what have you geniuses cooked up this week? So <laughs> I think Parcells was a little, you know, sort of putting the needle in because I think Parcells was always a little skeptical of Belichick. He would always have some, we'll say for lack of a better word, creative ideas. And sometimes, uh, Bill would do them. Sometimes Bill wouldn't do them and give him a look like this is effed up. And Bill goes, Belichick goes, well, how do you want me to do it? And Parcells says, well, I don't know, but what I'm telling you, what you're doing is effed up. So, yeah, I think there was some, uh, but no, I don't think there was that much tension with the major tension that uh, developed between Parcells and Belichick came later in the 90s when they were with the Jets. When it was when they were with the Giants, I think it was a pretty good relationship. I'm not saying they didn't argue here and there. Of course they did. Um, but I think it was overall a good uh, relationship. And um you know, and at that point, Belichick was still a little more intimidated by Parcells because he hadn't been a head coach yet. He wasn't quite as big of a name. Um, and, you know, Parcells appreciated Belichick's loyalty. Uh, you know, after the 83 season, uh, Parcells, it's interesting now when you see the coaching changes, Steve Wilkes getting fired after three and 13 seasons. Because Paul Parcells' first year in 83, he went 3-12-1. and the Giants thought about firing him. They wanted to hire Howard Schnellenberger from Miami, and they couldn't right. get him for some reason. So reluctantly, they gave him another chance in 84, and that's when they had their first playoff season. But, yeah, I mean, and Belichick in that off 83 off season was offered to go to the Vikings, a job with the Vikings, and he at the last minute turned it down to come back to the Giants. He added his loyalty to Parcells. Parcells had brought him there. So I think they felt uh, pretty loyal to each other. And... um Parcells appreciated his work ethic. I I don't think there was tremendous tension with the Giants. I I really think that came later with the Jets. Uh, Parcells wanting Belichick to be the head coach, then Belichick, you know, backing out. It was named head coach and then backed out at the last minute for a variety of reasons. One, to get out of the shadow of Parcells. Two, he didn't really like Woody Johnson. Um, so there was a, 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 a several factors. But I think in the Giants, they worked pretty well together. How can people follow you, uh, Will? Oh, just on Twitter, Patriots Maven. That's the and, best uh, way. I, as you said, footballmaven.io slash patriots. I, I put, uh, you know, if you go to footballmaven.io, you can just click Patriots link, but you can just click slash patriots and then uh, on Twitter. And uh, I think I also have a Facebook page, but those are the two easiest ways. I put all the links to my articles on Twitter, so it's very easy. I put, you know, my uh, link. I do a podcast every Wednesday. And uh, so they can. I put the link there. I mean, it's on SoundCloud. We put the link. I try to make it very easy. You know, everything's sort of on Twitter. That's sort of the center of my universe. So, you know, and uh, you know, I do my videos, which generally are with my stories. You can click on them, but occasionally I'll put a video on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, just pay Twitter Patriots Maven have about four thousand followers. So, um, you know, it's growing, and um, yeah, that's the easiest way. 
Will, this is the first time you've been on Patriots Beat. It will not be the last. I can assure you that. This has I been really a lot of fun. It, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you don't say, you know, oh, God, Will was a terrible <laughs> guest. The worst decision of my life, just like being friends with Trags, you know. Uh, Trags has a high standard to be his friend. You know, not, he doesn't just let anybody be his friend. This is true. I try to be selective. I think there's um, good cause for that in life, to be selective, um, because I think... <laughs> I should learn that. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think you're selective enough. Well, I would not criticize you in, in that regard. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. So anyway, well, I want to yeah. thank, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Want to thank our terrific guest, Will Bendenson, outstanding writer covering the Patriots for the Sports Exchange at footballmaven.io. And once again, as he mentioned, available on Amazon, you can get When This Cheering Stops. It's a, uh, book. Uh, Will, help me out here. It's from uh, Triumph Publishing. 2010 Triumph Books, and you can you can you can either buy the hardcover on Amazon, and we're very high tech tracks. It's available on Kindle too. So if you don't like to, uh, you know, lug around a book, then you can read it on your tablet. So it's it, easy either it way. It is a great football read. Uh, when the cheering stops, the 2010 book on Bill Parcells and the 1990 Super Bowl champion Giants with defensive lineman Leonard Marshall, Bill Parcells, the 90 Giants, and the price of greatness. I want to thank you. Right, if I have one wish yeah. on my deathbed, it's not to talk to my wife or anything. It's talk to fo- it's talk football with you. I mean, what, what a way oh to go Oh, my out God. With, right? That is, uh, that's over the top, but incredibly gracious, and I appreciate that, Will. For producer Mike Longi, for the founder of the network, Nick Chelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.